What would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? If you had all the money, all the time, all the knowledge, all the resources that you needed? What would you do with your life if you simply knew that anything was possible for you? My name is Christina Carlson, founder of Global Swedish Design and stationery brand Kiki K, and author of the book Your Dream Life Starts Here. And I love exploring these sorts of questions to inspire people to dream. Before I started Kiki K, I had a dream that I could bring Swedish design to the world to create beautiful products that bring sparks of joy into the everyday lives of millions. Now that I have achieved that dream, I want to help you dream big. I want to create a global movement to inspire 101 million dreamers to transform their lives and transform the world in return. Each episode, I'll be talking to some of the world's most inspiring people, exploring the powerful impact that dreaming has had on their lives. We'll be diving deep into the power of dreaming with real insights and ideas that you can use immediately to build a dream life of your own, whatever that means for you. This episode was so much fun for me to record as I got to spend time chatting with my closest friend, Anna Karin, founder of Anna Karin Design Studio and author of Make a Home You Love, How to Bring Order and Beauty into Your Home the Scandinavian Way. Born in Sweden, Anna Karin is a wonderful interior designer, such an inspiration and a great support for me. I speak with her every single day, sometimes more than once. In today's chat, I asked her to share her passion for creating beautiful spaces and her wisdom on creating a beautiful home environment that can help us not only to be more productive, but also express our identity and bring us joy. And with so many of us spending more and more time in our homes this year, the idea of creating living spaces we love is even more important than ever. Anna Karen believes strongly in making the most of the space that you have now rather than waiting for that perfect space in the future. And in this wonderful episode, she shares how there is always something you can do to create that special sanctuary at home. Keep listening to learn how a harmonious home environment can affect us in more ways than we know, affecting the way we feel, behave and think. Steps that you can take to create your dream home or your dream space tips on decluttering and organizing your home, the positive benefits of inviting more of the outside indoors and honoring nature in your home, how we tell the story of who we are through our homes, how to productively work from home and how to work and live in the same space, the importance of rituals to help with your productivity throughout the day, how taking time to work out what you want out of life can set you on the path to creating your dream life and that there are always silver linings and so much more. I can't wait for you to hear this episode, so let's get right into it. Hi, Anna Karin, and welcome to my podcast. Thank you, Christina. I am so excited to be here. Yeah, me too. It's been amazing to have your support over the last few months, but also over the last few years. We've gone through so much together. Before we get into the episode, I would love you to answer a question that I ask every single guest and that is did you have a dream as a child or something you wanted to you know achieve or become or have as a child oh wow yes I did I grew up just like you did in the country in Sweden down I grew up sort of in the south of Sweden in the forest and it was quite a isolating experience as a child and I had the dream of escaping and live in the city and live somewhere where there were more people and there were more life and there was more things happening. So that was a dream that I had from a really early stage. I also had a dream of um, uh, my environment and the type of house that I wanted to live in because my family actually, until I was 12, we lived in a one-bedroom house. So I shared my space with my siblings. I shared at the end, I ended up sleeping on a pull-out sofa in the living room. So space for me started very early to become important. And it was something that I thought about a lot. So I was very adamant. As soon as I got my own room at the age of, I think it was 12 or 13, 
I got obsessed with creating and shaping that room to make me feel a certain way when I was there. So I definitely had dreams around escaping into a different environment. Since then, I've come full circle and I've started to appreciate what I did have. And I realized that it was a, a journey that I had to go through to discover myself somehow. But now I've realized that home and where I grew up was actually really beautiful and quite extraordinary. But at the time, I wanted to escape from it. I can so relate to that. We didn't have just one bedroom, but we, you know, there was four siblings and space was really, you know, especially if you have need to have space for yourself, but also appreciating, you know, being organized and have beautiful things. And I, I was always interested in looking at beautiful homes outside my own home. So that's so we have so much in common and it's amazing how we kind of met on the other side of the world. And we have so much, the way we grew up and the way, the way we appreciate things and all our common interests, it's, it's quite remarkable. Uh, we, can, we can talk about more about that. But before we jump into some specific questions, I'd love for you to share with the audience a little bit about your story. I initially started, thought I wanted to be an engineer. So I started studying engineering. My brother was doing that and I thought that would be a cool thing to do. And um, as I was studying that, I realized it was the small scale that I was more interested in rather than the big scale. So I ended up working as an intern at an architectural practice, and then I worked for an interior design company. And then after a while, I ended up studying interior design in London at the Royal College of Art. While I was in London, I met my Australian husband, and then I ended up moving to Australia completely green. I had no idea about Australia, how far away it was. And I ended up opening a shop in Wallara in Queen Street, selling Scandinavian furniture and homewares, because I thought that would be a way to connect with people without actually knowing anyone or having any of that connections that you do when you study in a country or when you live in a country for a long time. So I opened a shop on Queen Street in Wallara and that is actually the shop where I met you, Christina, because one day Christina walks into my shops and, you know, and sort of yells and screams and say, oh my God, I love this. I really want to come and work for you. This is before Christina started Kiki K, by the way. And I reluctantly said no, because we couldn't afford to employ anyone because I was working all the time together with my business partner. So that's kind of how I started in Australia. And then that store eventually evolved into doing a design projects. And then many years later and three children later, I started Anakaran Design that I now run. as It's a design studio and we specialize in high-end residential interiors with Scandinavian design principles and uh, aesthetics. So that's what I'm doing today. Love that. And, you know, I will never forget when I walked into your shop, it was like coming home, seeing all the my favorite pieces and all the, you know, the pieces in terms of furniture, but homewares and also just that environment, you know, that Swedish design environment that we are kind of, I guess, take for granted in Sweden. And when you don't have it and then you walk into it, you just feel like you just hit home again. And it just it just felt so good and I was so excited and I, that was during my search for what I was going to do with my life. And I love thinking about that time because that was during my search and also I talk so much about finding what you're passionate about and I felt so passionate when I walked in that I really wanted to work for you but it wasn't my time. And, you know, that is also, again, um, a silver lining and I think – both of us have had so many of those <laughs> over the years in terms of, you know, how we grew up and, you know, didn't love the homes that we had perhaps in terms of the design, but that gets got us that yearning for more and for something different uh, so that, you know, we created that and also, um, you know, finding our um, passions, uh, what we do for work. So Absolutely. And also remember, this is like almost now 24, 25 years ago that, I opened the shop and there was not that much of that aesthetics available in Australia and in Sydney. So it was quite a rarity and we were probably a little bit, you know, ahead of our time in that sense because it was quite a, you know, a lot of people knew about it, but there wasn't much available to buy and to look at and get inspired by. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And um, it's been so inspiring for me to see where you started and where you are today. And we have so much we can cover. You wrote a book, I think a year ago now, it's called Make a Home to Love. You talk about in the book that a harmonious home environment affects us in more ways than we know. It affects the way we 
we feel, behave, and think. And I could not agree more. I, I, home for me is everything. I love traveling and I love doing lots of things. But when I come home, just so important. The home environment is so important to me. So can you share a little bit about why that is so important and um, how you see that? If you walk into, say, um, a church or a cathedral, that building is built for you to feel a certain way and is a deliberate creation of a space that's very peaceful and high ceilings and there's light, certain light coming in from a certain way. So there's a deliberation in how the architect would have created that space. And it's the same if we walk into a home that is a certain way, it smells a certain way, it looks a certain way, it's, you know, the temperature is a certain way, we are affected by it much more so than what we might be aware of. So just as the architect who designed the church was very deliberate, I believe that we should be very deliberate in how we create our homes, regardless of the home that we live in. We might be renting somewhere, we might be not living in our dream home yet. It's still so much that we can do to evoke that certain feeling that we want to have and that we want to feel and how we want other people to feel in our homes. And that's what I am passionate to inspire people and teach people of how to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you talk about your 10 steps in the book. Can you just give us a little overview? I encourage everyone to, I will link this obviously uh, in the show notes, but it will be great for everyone to kind of get a bit of a taste on what they can expect from your book. You know, when you write something, I don't know if you feel the same way, you write something and then you feel you want to rewrite it. So I wrote this book and I launched it last year. And the 10 steps starts with reviewing your home and looking at, okay, this is where I am. Why does it look the way it looks? And what have I done? What have I acquired? What have I created already? Because that says a lot about who you are. And then it takes you through a process of removing everything that's unnecessary and restoring things that are broken rearranging things in the most optimal way, being conscious of how you reacquire things, how you bring new things into your home. And then we look at redesigning and rebuilding. And then in the end, you look at how do I nurture it? How do I retain this home? How do I keep it the way that I want it? But since writing the book, I realized that there is an 11th chapter that I hadn't quite explored that should actually go in front of all of these 10 steps as well. And that is really about getting clear on your aesthetics. It's to sort of reimagine your dream home and becoming really clear what it is that you're about. What is your interior identity? Because once you are clear with that, all the other steps will become clearer and easier to some degree. So the very first step, so before that, so now I need to rewrite the book and add that first kind of, you know, the first zero chapter maybe and then the 10 steps. And I recently um, went to one of your workshops and we'll get into that a bit later perhaps um, because the one that I did at Fukis in Sydney uh, a few months ago was so inspiring for someone who is um, dreaming and creating my own dream life and uh, have so many ideas and thoughts. I'd love to talk about that, but I might do that a little bit later. But when we met uh, many years ago, I remember staying on your couch and when I was starting up Kiki K, I couldn't afford hotels. And and one thing that I really absolutely loved and I felt so home, one because of all the beautiful, the beautiful environment and um, and all the amazing furniture pieces that you had f- made me feel at home. But it was one thing that I really, really felt that, you know, we connected over and that I feel is so important. I think it's very much a Swedish thing, but perhaps not every Swede would do this, but it's that candles in the morning and, you know, make the, the, make the everyday beautiful. Like, I think that is what makes it so special. Like every you know, every cup of tea, every break, every, you know, the environment and that feeling you have just makes you feel so good. So just talk a little bit about what, you know, how you create that in your home. It doesn't actually take that much, but it does require a deliberate action in some way to, and there's a couple of things that I feel is really important to set a certain tone and create that sense of being welcome and feeling warm. And that is to have something from nature on your table or where you gather. So if it's a twig from, you know, they pick up when you're out in the park or it's a little flower from the garden or something that you have found. So something from nature and then 
uh, it's the candles. And the candles are lit in our household, morning, lunch, and nighttime. Or as soon as I come home, I light candles. As soon as I wake up, I light candles. And it is something around a fire. And I think it comes from this notion that we all gather around fires and tell our stories. And I think the candle represent that. It's also life giving, I think, the candle and the light. And there's something so beautiful about a candle because it sort of spreads not only the warmth and the golden sort of glow from it. One candle can light up so many others. So you almost feel like you walk in somewhere, you light a candle, and then that candle can light another candle and another candle and another. It's like at the beginning of this warmth that it's spreading in the house. My children grew up with candles being lit all the time and they're so used to it. And I know when we had other of their friends visiting and they always started to play with them and play with the wax and blow it up and wanted to light it again. And and I know a lot of people might consider it's a bit dangerous with open fire and candles and with children and everything, but it's like with everything, if, if, you, if you get used to it and if you know that this part of your daily ritual, then it just becomes, and they now honour it, and now they light them as well. They would not, I mean, they're kind of adults now, but they would still always not um, sit down at the table without lighting a candle. So it's very much a ritual that I've nurtured and that I feel is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny, I, I do exactly the same. And sometimes we, when we go away, if we go to an Airbnb or um, rent a summer holiday house somewhere or even a hotel, I always bring candles. And um, and it's one thing that my kids, because they're also very much, and I can so relate to what everything you said. A lot of my friends like, how can you have candles around small children? Um, obviously, my kids are not so small anymore, but they kind of got used to that. And um and uh, I love how now Axel is 12. And when we went away last time, he just said, I love how you always bring candles and things that make us feel like at home. When you rent a place, it's just to have that kind of cozy, homey feeling is so, so important and something that makes the everyday special. And I think most places has the ability to do that. And it doesn't require this big, massive changing everything and throwing out everything and starting again. It's little tweaks to what you already have that can make such a big difference. And that's kind of what I write about in the book. And that's sort of what I am all about is like, make the most of the thing that you have. Don't sit and wait for that big moment when the children leave or when the children come or when something happens or when you get come into more money. It's like, there's always something that you can do in any environment, in any home, wherever you are to create that sort of special place of sanctuary. There's so much that goes on in our homes. They are such an important part of our life. And even more so lately, not only will they have to be the places where we come together as a family and where we eat and where we sleep, but now they also have to be places where we actually work. So our homes are becoming more and more and more important. And I believe they're they're, they're like the cornerstone of our society. It's where we set our foundations of how we then manage and how we go out in the world and deal with things outside of our home. So, and the environment is not the only thing that it's important, of course, but it is one fundamental part of how we feel and how we behave, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to come back to working from home because obviously a lot of us are doing that right now um, globally. So I'm going to come back to that. But before I do, I think there's one other thing that we have in common and that is our love for nature and our love for greens and, and being connected to nature. And I think that definitely would have come from the way we grew up being in nature all the time. I think it's so important to have that in our home. And I think Swedes are very good at that. Having indoor plants has been part of Swedish home for, for as long as I can remember. And it's become a trend globally now. But just talk a little bit about um, the importance of that, but also perhaps what people can do to kind of start having more of that at home. Yeah, I think the unique thing about Sweden in that sense is that our homes are so well insulated and we have thick walls, which means that we have thick windowsills and most Swedish home has a windowsill where you can actually put plants. It's not so common here in Australia, I've noticed, windowsills is rarely that you can actually put things in the window. I think that's something that most Swedes take advantage of. But I think a little green pot in any part of the room should be part of it, even in the bedrooms. If it's on the side of the bed, 
a pot plant. I now have a pot plant in my bedroom that I water a little bit every day. I used to have cut flowers and twigs and things, but I have to replace them all the time. So I actually started to get a pot plant in the bedroom as well and just remember to water it and and give it that love that it requires. Why it's so important to have nature, it's almost like it reminds us of where our nurturing comes from, not only the oxygen and the healthy air that we breathe, but also the food that we eat, that it all comes from nature. It's a bit of honoring that, you know, this beautiful place that we have, that we're living in. And by bringing into your home, it's like it's a daily reminder of that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, absolutely. And I love how you um, got influenced by your mum who always put something on the table that was from your garden or from nature. Oh, she always, she still sends me photos almost, you know, on a weekly basis of, okay, now this, I brought this in and there's a photo of the fireplace, which is, if it's not a fireplace during summer, then there's a bouquet of flowers in there or how she set the table and what she has brought in. It's a constant flow of new things that comes into the house from the garden and from nature and from the forest. In your book, there is a quote by Nate Berkus, your home should tell the story of who you are and be a collection of what you love. I love that quote and um, I really, really resonate with that. So tell everyone who's listening how they could create a home around that story, who they are and a collection of what they love. Well, I think the core of who we are should be reflected in the environment that we have. So the question then is, how do we start to think about what it is that we surround ourselves with? And with my clients and when I do my workshops and um, how around aesthetics is to really start to think about the things that you're drawn to. And not just when it comes to interior, but I ask people what they read and what kind of books they are attracted to, what they listen to, what kind of music they listen to regularly, what kind of music they get some kind of emotion from. It might be a good one or a bad one because aesthetics all comes down to emotion. It's around how we feel. So when we feel a certain things around what we read and what we listen to, and then I get people to think about the places you visited and how they felt in that place. You know, you might have visited a, a hotel or it might have been a beach or it could have been anywhere. What is it that you remember? Because we have certain memories in our life that we come back to and it normally has to do with how we felt when we experienced it. So then I get people to not only put down pictures of that but also to write about it and think about what it is that you want to feel in a place. So aesthetics really comes from the feelings that we have and what we are drawn to. So if you listen to, you know, country and Western music, what is it about that that you love? Or if you're drawn to poetry, what is it in that poet that you like? And from there, build up almost like a vocabulary of an aesthetic look and feel around who you are as a person. And then how do you interpret that into your home? Maybe it's a time now to talk about your workshop because the one I did with you, like really looking at what music I love and what their feelings are and um, and even you used words on the vision board and I absolutely love that. It was so resonated. It's very much similar to what I do in terms of creating my dream life. Um, just tell us a little bit about how to, how to go about that and obviously we will link to your workshops that's coming up. But uh, in the meantime, let's um, let's get started and think about what people can do. So, for example, if you have a certain piece of music, let's give an example. We recently did a house for a client of ours. We get them to fill in a questionnaire. What do you listen to? What do you read? And they were listening to like English rock. They love the Beatles and they love Radiohead. So we started to listen to as well to Radiohead here in the studio. And we thought about what kind of emotions are evoked from that music. And they've got slightly mysterious feel to it or an eerie feel to it but there's also a slight rebellious nature to it so you, then we started to pull out these words from the music that we felt in it when we were listening to it and that started then to become the language of the rooms that we wanted to create so say for example that you love um i mean i love bruce springsteen which is pretty daggy i know but so if i listen to bruce springsteen what is it that i feel when i listen to bruce springsteen so i think the reason i love him so much is this notion that i talked about before is this 
escaping, you know, get on the road and drive away and there's the promised land is somewhere else there. And I could really relate to this music because that's how I remember feeling as a child. So then when you listen to the music, start to think about these words that that music evokes in you. And then that becomes the sort of the foundation for what you're about. And then the same with something that you read, say that you read. um, I also love Russian classics like Anna Karenina and there's a sense of this elegance and awe yet there's these deep passionate feelings in all the people so this is another part that I start then to add to the narrative of the aesthetic so and then as you go through each stage of of these things and and the other thing that to draw from as well is the food that you eat and the kind of food that you're drawn to what is it that why is it that you like certain things? And it's not just about the taste, it's about the experience of it. Maybe you really love food because it's it's fresh. So you want this notion of something that's really clean and fresh and airy, and that sort of come, could come from the food. So there's a layering process to kind of getting clear on your own aesthetics, which comes from all these other aspects in life. So music and food and travel and reading and books. So, and then I get people to collect imagery from it as well. So if you have, say, a movie scene as well, movies is another one, a great one to pull thoughts and how you feel about a certain place. What is it about a movie? And I have people putting together their their top 10 movie interiors that they can ever think of and remember and what it is about those movie interiors that evoked a certain feeling in them. And then that also becomes part of your own sort of interior identity and interior uh, narrative. Yeah, I love that. And it's funny because uh, often the, the movies that I'm attracted to is often the um, penthouses in New York or, you know, the country houses where there's lots of nature and, you know, again, with the candles, etc. So, yes, absolutely um, relate to that. So highly recommend anyone who wants to get started with your dream home is to um, attend a uh, workshop by Anna Karen. I'll, I'll link to that in the show notes. I want to talk about decluttering because what we do at Kiki K is to help people being organized. And by being organized, I really truly believe that you can live a much better life and, and um, a more purposeful life because you know what you want and you know what you have and you're not spending a lot of time looking for things and um, both of us love Marie Kondo and she has a great quote that you have put in your book the question of what you want to own is actually the question of how you want to live your life and love love that quote because I think um, being organized makes such a difference so how can our listeners start decluttering because you are the queen of decluttering and I love I love how we get both get excited about you know reorganizing our pantries or reorganizing our wardrobes and we can talk about it for forever so just give uh, our listeners some tips on how to start decluttering perhaps where to start because sometimes I think we especially if if we have a really unorganized or or very cluttered home it's really quite hard sometimes just to know where to start yes Absolutely. I believe that the easiest thing to start with are the things that are easiest to bring in. So there's certain things that we constantly buy and constantly use and bring into the home. So I think it's easiest to start with those. So that will be our food items. So our pantries and our fridges, because these are things that we use all the time every day. And the second thing is our clothes, because we tend to also buy more clothes than we buy, for example, homewares, most of us at least, and most people do. So i think that start with the clothes or start with the the kitchen and the fridge and the pantry. Um, It's a little bit like easy come, easy go. We're not emotionally attached in the same way to a, you know, a bag of expired flour in the pantry as we might be to say even a vase that we bought or someone gave us. It's much harder, I think, for us to get rid of those things that has some kind of long-term notion of it that it's bought to be there for a long time is harder to get rid of. So start with those. And I suggest start with one area as in just, for example, T-shirts, maybe just do T-shirts one afternoon, take one hour and go through, pull out all the T-shirts wherever they live in the house and just go through them. So 
one category at a time so it's not too overwhelming and then maybe the next day or the next week maybe you do all your pants and then when you've been through the clothes start with uh, one aspect of of the kitchen maybe it's just to sort out all the the dry goods for example so rather than trying to have to do everything all the time just do one small category at a time some of us are very attached to certain things <laughs> and you know especially things that um, perhaps was given to to us as you know as a child or as a, as a gift or or you know memories etc so so i have my own theory on <laughs> how to deal with that but i love to um, I what's love yours to hear. can i hear yours <laughs> what's your theory well, I, yeah well i think to take photos of things because you got like a big bowl from you know when you, you know, I don't know, turn 20 and you're now 60 or something uh, and you don't love it and you don't use it, I just feel like that is a waste of space and energy. And every time you see it, you feel guilty perhaps or you feel, you know, I, I really want to get rid of it, but I feel like I can't. And, you know, and I feel like life is too short for for holding on to things like that. <laughs> for people who are um, holding on to things, I, I always say, well, maybe take some photos and you can even have like a whole, um, you know, if you do it electronically and you know a photo album in your on your phone or computer or if you really want to look at it often you can print it out and put it in a beautiful notebook or a journal or a photo album or whatever so, so you have that memory because you don't actually have to have it in your space just just because you've got it you can still have it as a memory i think that's a fantastic approach to it i think the one thing i could add to that is always start by asking yourself if you can repurpose it somehow before you actually remove it or before you give it away or recycle it or throw it away is there somehow this item could be repurposed and it could be that bowl and it's been sitting in a cupboard maybe just put it out on the bench top and fill it with fruit and see how it feels and looks in the space when you actually use it all the time because I think what's frustrating most of the time is when we have things that just sit there and never get used so maybe just start using it and give yourself you know a month where I'm going to use this thing in a completely new way it could be the old tea set or something that's just sitting there and collecting dust start using it every day don't worry about the thing if it breaks or if someone uses it or not at least it's getting used so that would be the first thing repurposing one example is my you probably have these as well but my grandmother I have this sort of cross stitch thing that you hang on the wall like a <laughs> you know with the metal yeah. thing and you have to hang it on the wall and she made it and it's very precious in many ways it's been under my cupboard forever but I've actually just in one of my recent clearing has decided that it, if I remove all the bits and pieces from it that it hangs from and make it into a cushion and add some fabrics in a complementary colour to it and it will be a cushion that's going to sit on my sofa and I actually see it and I use it every day. It's a completely new use for it. It's not what it was intended for but it has a new purpose and all of a sudden my grandmother can be with me on my sofa every day. So that's in my box of repurposing things that I have collected to do instead of maybe getting rid of it and just constantly just throwing things out but actually thinking about the repurposing and how to upcycle things rather than recycle them so that would be one thing with particularly with things that are sentimental in some ways taking photos is fantastic if you can't see a use for it and I think that would be the last resort take a photo and get rid of it but before then maybe think about that notion of repurposing it finding a new use for it yeah that is such a good tip and I, I love that and I've seen you doing that with your clients as well and um, it's always so inspiring to see mm-hmm. re redo it re-sew it maybe use fabric that you used to be curtains and create something else make a bedspread or a cushion out of it instead and I also think that when when I get rid of things I actually see it as someone else might need it and someone else could use it versus me putting it in the end of the cupboard and because um, we move quite frequently I do not like to move things over and over that I don't use yeah I guess that brings up the notion of how we buy things I mean it's one thing things that have been given to us that's one aspect we don't really have that much control of but I think in the how we buy things has become more and more important to me at least as I'm getting older I'm not rushing out to fill 
this need and immediately I, I research, I make sure I buy the right thing and I rather save up and spend and buy something that I know is going to last than just feeling a quick need. I need to have that right now because I recently wa- I walk to work these days and um, there was a council collection on the street and you look at the items that people put on the street, it's certainly not those beautifully designed pieces that have been handmade and crafted. It's often the factory cheap things that we buy just to kind of fill a certain need quickly. And those are the ones that ends up in landfill as well. So I think this notion of buying things that we believe and want to become heirlooms and I buy something, I think, okay, would my children want this or would they just want to throw it out? And that's sort of what I'm starting to think of now when I buy things. Yeah, absolutely. How about these memories in terms of schoolwork and, you know, because my kids are in that time of their life where they come home every year with lots of schoolwork and I often say you actually don't want to look through every single notebook when you're 40. Like no. That's just not no. how life works. So, and also with toys and things and it's funny because I, I got my children to always categorise their uh, toys etc and color coordinate their books etc and it's funny because you know people sometimes laugh at me that I did that but I look at them now the way that they find things and how they organize things it's it's such a really lovely skill to have to be organized because you not just because it makes you feel better but it's also you just save up so much time so how do you deal with, with things like that, that, you know, people seem to be very emotionally attached to things that that perhaps in the end just ends up as clutter and actually gives you more anxiety and more more um, feelings that is not as, as nice as that memory that, that we think that might bring. My children are now in their 20s and I know I was ruthless with their schoolwork. It went straight into the recycling bin when they come home. And I say you can keep one thing per year only that you want to keep so if it's one you know apart from sort of like all these certificates and things I did keep so they all have memory boxes and they're these big black kiki k memory boxes that they have and they probably have two each and then that is just particular things that they chose themselves to save there were certain things I would have chosen sometimes when I felt oh that artwork is pretty spectacular I'll put that in as well but otherwise all the school books and everything that we didn't give back to the school and recycle there that went into the recycling bin. I came home to my mum once and she said, Anna Karen, you really need to go down in the basement and sort out your school thing. So I used to save my things and there they are. My poor mother and father has to store my, you know, reports and my exercise books and everything. And so why would I put them through that? Why do why that was a very selfish thing to do. So I decided I'm not going to have my children do that to me. So it was kind of a self-preservation thing. Not we're not keeping any of this. I'm pretty ruthless with school things. And there's I have a few things that we have framed that sits up on the wall of my children's artwork. But apart from that, they have their memory boxes and they look up. Now they actually sometimes sit and look through them and it gives them a lot of joy. So I think there's some aspects that are really important to have to sort of evoke those memories of certain stages in your life, but not to an excess. And I don't think we need that much. Yeah, I love that. And actually for anyone listening, the, the one thing that I did and still do is in both of my kids' bedroom, there is a Kiki K archive box and I call it memories. So if the kids find something that is kind of old and doesn't have a home and we have a, we have a rule in, in our home that everything has to have its home. So if you find a pair of scissors, on the kitchen bench where does that live and it's something that I I love because you don't you know run around you're looking for a system when they need it and they all know where it is and it's obviously not perfect because we end up with a very messy home often as well so it's not perfect in any way but it has really helped in so many ways and having that archive box um, at the top of the wardrobe is is really good because sometimes they find something that they fear that I will be throwing away they put it in there themselves but also when I see something that they've done at school and and, you know an art you know piece of art or or even like sometimes a little note that they write to themselves that they might just throw away I I just put it in there and then they can sort that out later so that's another way of perhaps um, deal with it. Let's talk a little bit about working from home. As we are all um, changing the way we work, how can we be 
I guess, more organized and more productive at home because I think in one way we save a lot of time working from home, but it's also very easy to be distracted with home chores and things that comes our way. So how do we productively working from home? My sons works from home at the moment and we've had to set up desks in their bedrooms. And the way that I've instill in them is to have a clear transition from work to home and that includes I'm very much for rituals and I don't call anything we do in our homes chores I actually call things ritual so so to clean something is a ritual to make the bed is a ritual to set up your desk is a ritual so to have these transitions from waking up and doing your you know normal grooming and things and then from working so always for example, make the bed and put something on the bed that indicates that it's daytime, that you then remove at nighttime. So whether it's a throw or a blanket or something, say this is the daytime dress and then you have the nighttime dress for the bed as well. For that, So that's one ritual. Just like we leave the house and we don't walk out in our pyjamas. So we then set a tone in the room that indicates this is now daytime, it's time for a different activity. It could also be that the daytime you light a candle, you light some maybe some incense or you put something in a vase that also indicates that this is the time to do a different activity. And it actually is working with my eldest son. My youngest son hasn't, he hasn't quite kicked in yet. With my eldest son, it's actually applied all these principles and it's a joy to see that it's actually working for him. But this idea that the day is divided into certain activities and how the environment reflects that and support it. So if when the night comes and you finish your work, there are certain things that you do to your desk that says that I have now finished working for the day, whether it is closing down the computer or moving away everything into a drawers and lighting the candle or the book that you want to read for the night or something like that. So I think those transitions are really important to honour even more so as we are spending time in the same space. How do we create different environment for the different activities? Yeah, absolutely. And I also find that what's helped me a lot is to, again, have a home for everything. So not having like a million things on your desk at once, but actually um, actually work on one project. And again, I'm not perfect. And sometimes my desk is full of paper, but um, and I, I still love, you know, the handwritten notebooks, etc. Because that's really what I find really productive. And I know you do too, in, in many ways. So, um, but I think having a home, and being organized and work on one project at a time is is really important. And I think the other thing as well is this having little rituals around. It's a bit like, I don't know if your mum had this, but we always had, we had 11 coffee and three coffee. You know, it was like 11 and three with times when you had a break from your whatever you were doing. So, and we have it here in our studio as well. We have tea at 11 and tea at three and it's a little ritual. We make a pot and we, you know, the candles are always lit, but it becomes part of that slide to take a break from the everyday activities. And when you work from home, rather than going to the, you know, the kitchen and getting things and sitting at the desk, it's also making, taking that time away and maybe sit somewhere else and have your tea or sit somewhere else and have your coffee or not always doing everything at the desk, even if it's there and you can. Fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your tips. I like to shift gear a little bit because I'm all about living our dream lives, as you know. And um, about, I think it's seven years ago now, we had a little retreat. So for anyone listening, me and Anna Karen have these quarterly catch-ups where we we dream and we think about the next quarter and the next year. And we went away together to celebrate your birthday. And I think that's one of my favourite trips ever because it made such a difference to both of our lives, the way we discussed. But I'd love to talk about your experience because I think it really changed the way you run your business and the way you're really living your dream life. So I'd love you to reflect on that and what made a difference because there was also a collection that came out that I can talk about after, but it was (laughs) such an inspiring time and I really encourage people to go away even on their on their own or you know if they're lucky enough to have a friend like you (laughs) then it's easy but I think having that space to dream and think about the future is so important. I know that was an extraordinary week the main thing that came out for it for me was that having 
time every day to sit down and talk about where I wanted to be and with the support of you as well. And uh, you introduced me to this business organization that I subsequently joined and it transitioned me from thinking that although I'd always had a business, but I mainly saw myself as a creative. And I think what it prompted that week prompted me to think about the fact that I'm actually running a business and I can do this differently. And if I set certain goals and if I have certain intentions of where I want to be in five years, in 10 years, then there is actually a proven path almost to get there. Or people have done it before me. I'm not needing to reinvent the wheel in everything I do. I already had a business, but I was more seeing myself as a creative, having to have a business for the sake of certain practicalities, but I never saw myself as a someone who actually would be good at running a business. And um, I think that retreat that we had seven years ago projected me from being a little kind of one-man band working now and then to actually running a full-fledged kind of design studio with many different aspects to it now. So that time to take out of the everyday life, sit down, particularly with someone as inspiring as you, Christina, and actually put down on paper what it is that I want to do and then break it down into small bite-sized chunks of how to actually get there was completely and utterly life-changing. And um, I don't think I would have been where I am today without that and without this, you know, not only having... another person cheering you on and the side, but also then to being able to draw from other resources and reading. I mean, we, I don't know, Christina bought a whole book of suitcases for that retreat and always does wherever we go. And there's so much knowledge out there to get inspired by and learn from and understanding that it's possible. That's what's so extraordinary. I think during that week, we kept saying, why not? And um, and I think sometimes we restrict ourselves because we are brought up in a certain way or we are, you know, in this path, like you were seeing yourself as a creative. And I was like, really encourage you to think about a really big financial goal for your business because I could just see the potential and the people that you get to work with and the people who are lucky enough to come across you. It's just extraordinary. And I think sometimes we just don't see that sometimes ourselves. There's magic in this. It's really is magic. I had this idea, maybe it's a year and a half ago now, that I wanted to work in New Zealand because someone asked me, where else would you like to? So we do a lot of work in Sydney and in the eastern suburbs of Sydney and then maybe I could expand and work out in the North Shore or whatever. And I said, no, I want to work in New Zealand. And I reached out to a few people and I went there, nothing come out of it, nothing come out of it, nothing come out of it. But now one of our projects that we work on are in New Zealand. It didn't come the way I thought it would, that not through the active process that I went out to speak to people, but it came, you know, another way. And there's this kind of magic that sets in place once we set an intention of, okay, I'd like to work in New Zealand. Now we are. There's so many things that we think, are impossible somehow until we actually start the process towards getting there. And then it works in mysterious ways. I can't quite explain it, but it works. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you did the same thing this year with obviously COVID have changed so many businesses and so many uh, roles, etc. And, you know, we went through this together. We spoke every single day. We still do. It's my highlight of the morning after my walk and we share, you know, the podcast and the books and, and the way we share resources. It's so, so inspiring. And I, I remember uh, you saying maybe a year ago or so that you you know, you wanted a certain project and you wanted a certain thing and it's all happening now because you actually put some dreaming behind it and thoughts behind it. I mean, we had a lot of projects just halting and everything was put on hold in March and um, it really made me think about what it is that I want to do and speaking a lot to you about reflecting on what is it that the ideal scenario would be and it would be to work on a few bigger projects, more international, and then also to create a course and an online learning around all these principles that I've developed working as a designer for, you know, almost 30 years. And how can I share that in a, with a broader audience? So that's come out of this period where it was more quiet in the design world initially. Now it sort of seemed to be pick up again, but that's when I took the principles of the book and turned it into an online course that we've also just launched where I'm guiding people through the process of 
getting clear on how their homes should look and then helping them to actually achieve it as well. So it's kind of a very practical hands-on exercises and um, methodology that I teach. Yeah, I love that. Obviously, a very big fan of of your course and everything that you do. But I think the most inspiring thing to join courses like yours is to be surrounded by like-minded people. So not only do we you know, get learnings from you and your all your amazing experience into one course, but also having other people in that kind of group doing the same things so you share your passion. And I think that, you know, like the, I often talk about this on the podcast and, and anything that I do is like the five people you surround yourself with is so important. And I think having had you over the last few months where I've gone through so much challenging times has been so, so important. And um, I, I just don't think I would have got through it the same way if I didn't have you. And I think having the support in whatever you're doing, it's not just challenging time, but also the exciting things like creating your dream home and, and uh, you know, decluttering or whatever it is to actually have someone who's as passionate about that as you are. Absolutely. And I think when you have these online platforms, you can find inspiration from so many other people all over the world and you can see what they do and you can get inspired by that, but also realizing that you're not ever alone in these queries that you have and in these, whatever it might be, insecurities or not knowing and knowing that there are other people who are actually thinking and being just the same as you. Before we finish off with some final questions, quicker questions, I like to just ask you, are you living your dream life right now? Very close to, I would say, very close to. I think I always have things that I aspire for and I think I always will and I think it's part of human nature that you always aspire for something else. But I do wake up every morning feeling incredibly grateful for the life that I have. I'm incredibly grateful to live in this country, to have my family and to have my friends. So is it a dream life? Almost, I would say, almost, but uh, still much more to do. And I'm so excited that there's more things to do because I think that's actually part of the dream life that you actually still have a dream. And I think that's actually part of this notion that having something to aspire to. I mean, someone said that, you know, something to do, someone to love and someone to look forward to are the three sort of secrets to life. And I think that's pretty much true. So I completely agree. And when I say dream life, it's definitely not a perfect life and it's not without its challenges and it's not without um, its ups and downs. Uh, I feel like I'm living my dream life, but it's certainly not perfect. And I've certainly gone through so many (laughs) challenges lately. And also, you know, we don't know what's to come. And it's a dream life is obviously a normal life in terms of all the things that we have to face. So I absolutely agree with you there. So to finalize this amazing episode, I'd love to ask some quicker questions. If there was one piece of advice to the next generation to help them live their dream life, what would you say? Get clear on what you want. Don't just make it be a default sort of life. Make it a deliberate life. Yeah, love that. And I love all your rituals and we could have a whole episode about that. So maybe we'll in the future, but talk to us about your morning ritual. It actually changes quite often, but there are certain elements that are non-negotiable and that is some kind of contemplative session, whether it's just sitting down and thinking or sitting down and meditating. could be 10 minutes. Sometimes it could be up to an hour, but there's some time just to sit. I actually always start with a cold shower and I know that you don't like it and other people like it, but I get up and I get in the cold shower for a minute or two or sometimes three. And that sort of just puts you in a different state of mind. So cold shower is the first one. And then I'm actually just doing a 30-day yoga challenge as well, where I do 20 minutes of of yoga. It's not every day, but some kind of meditative practice. And then I light candles and then I read. So I read always something that is teaching me something or where I learn something. So I I read about half an hour and actually have a timer on my phone to say it's time to read. 7.15 to 7.45 is my reading time. So cold shower, some kind of meditative practice and reading. Sometimes exercise, not always, but that's sort of the non-negotiables for my morning routine. So both of us are big readers and we share books and we share knowledge and um, I would love you to share one of your favourite books. I know it's like 
naming your favorite child, which is hard. <laughs> it's very hard. I think the one that has had major impact is the slight edge. So the slight edge, which is this notion, and it's nothing new, but I remember reading that and I started to really understand the power of compound interest, but not so much maybe in money, which it has as well, but with the little things that you do. So thinking that everything has to be done greatly and grandly and has to be done a lot and anything you want to do, just do that, even if it's just one minute. One minute is more than zero minutes and then one minute becomes five minutes and ten minutes and then all of a sudden you might end up with a new skill or a new whatever it might be that can enrich your life. That had a massive impact on me when I read it, The Slight Edge. The same and I gifted that book. It's one of my favourites as well. And what I love about that book is that what he talks about is like everything that we want to do in life in terms of, you know, creating our dream life. It could be anything to to do with your you know, starting your own business or take the next step in your career or fitness or whatever it is. It's like it's the small things is what makes a difference. And the, it's also about um, the things that we know that we need to do is as easy to do and as easy not to do. And I think that is what makes the difference. And that's what I really got out of that book. It's like that one minute could make a massive difference. It doesn't seem to today, but if it all adds up, then that could completely be life-changing. So I love that. We've talked a lot about emotion and how certain environments and can put you in an emotional state. And the other one that had a massive impact on me was Black Beauty, which was the first book I read where I was completely transformed and into a different world. And I lived that book. I was breathing that book. I was crying. I was laughing. And it was the first experience I had when I realized how much a fictional story can transport ourselves into another world basically and I think that was the start of my journey of reading I can remember where I was how it smelled what I you know was eating when I was reading that book because it was such a strong emotional experience so yeah that was probably the first kind of real book that I read and remember having those strong feelings from I'd love to know if you have a favorite Kiki Cake product or a favorite stationery product. <laughs> I do, I do. I mean, I use, I always carry a notebook. I always carry a pen. I love the timber. I don't know if you still make them, but I still have, because I remember getting many of them, the timber mechanical pencil. So I love pencils and I love that effect that it has an eraser at the back. So you draw and then you can change things and you draw and then you change things. That's definitely one of my favorite things. The other thing is it's a leather bound notebook that you gave me with my initials on it. And then you can replace it. Once the notebook is finished, you put a new one in and you have that cover. So you always have a notebook that looks uniform and the same and you create sort of a relationship with. So those two are my favorite products that I use all the time. Oh, thank you. So one last question for you. If you could go back to your younger self, say when you're in your late teens, what advice would you give yourself knowing what you know now? You're enough. You're good. You're fine. Don't be so hard on yourself. And I was super shy as a child. I barely dared to open my mouth. I would blush as soon as anyone would say my name. And it was so nervous about what you know that I wasn't good enough or this enough or something enough so I would just say you're enough AC you're fine you're cool you're good I love you sharing that because I think wouldn't it be amazing if every child knew that as we were growing up but um you are certainly enough but what we don't have enough is you in our lives and I love that I've been able to share some of your wisdom and some of your amazing inspiring things that you're doing with the world and I I just want to thank you for your incredible support but also being an amazing friend but also being such an inspiration to the world because every person who meets you I think just say I love her (laughs) and uh, I always say yes I know she's amazing and I love what you are doing and um, I really encourage everyone who's listening to get into the world of Anna Karin because you will feel so inspired. Well, right back at you, Christina, right back at you. I would say the same. (laughs) Isn't Anna Karin just such an inspiration? I hope you love this episode as much as I enjoyed our chat. 
What I love the most is how she talks about the way the core of who we are should be reflected in our environment and the way a space can truly affect how we feel, behave and act. Hopefully you are able to take some tips away from this episode to help you create your own space you love, whether for work or home life or maybe both. If you find this episode inspiring, I would love you to join my private community group for your Dream Life podcast and share what you found helpful or what you enjoyed. You can find the link to the Facebook group in the show notes. And if you feel like you would like to explore more of Anna Karin's wonderful ideas and learn even more from her, be sure to check out her book and her Make a Home to Love online course. You will find a link to this in our show notes as well. If you love this episode, don't forget to subscribe for plenty more inspiration. And don't forget to tell us what you thought by leaving us a review. And if you want to see more about what's happening in my world, you can follow me on Instagram at Christina Kiki K. Until next time, dream big.